Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thank you for joining us. And I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined as always by the brother, Ryan Eaney. And of course, our namesake, the venerable D Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. Well, my NBA friends, it has been a real quiet week since we last talked. All that really happened is that Kyrie Irving went missing. More games were postponed due to a COVID outbreak, edging the league toward a precipice that has started talk of whether the season may be in jeopardy or if a bubble number two may be necessary. The unraveling of the Atlanta Hawks continues. Our guy Markel Fultz sadly went down with a season-ending injury. Same for the promising young center for the Wizards, Antonio Bryant. And in other news, the Cleveland Browns and Buffalo Bills won NFL playoff games for the first time since the mid-90s. And the U.S. Capitol was stormed for the first time since the War of 1812. And we were hoping for a quieter 2021. Guys, <laughs> pretty much covers it. But we will assume our audience uh, has other places to go to hear about commentary related to the Capitol. And they don't tune in to hear our political analysis, but probably want escape and to hear us talk about basketball. So we'll, we'll leave that there for now. Uh, but guys, with all this unfolding drama in this last week, where do we want to start? You know, I think COVID is really, you know, it's something we hear about in our everyday lives, obviously, all the time. Uh, it's impacting our listeners, ourselves, our families, kind of day to day, without regard for the impact it has, certainly. But I, I do think it's just interesting to see now a few weeks into the season, 10 games, 11 games into everyone's schedules, the impact that COVID is just wrecking on the NBA. I mean, you know, we've now seen multiple professional sports leagues go through a full season. Um, you know, the NFL playoffs are well underway. You know, baseball did their thing. Obviously, being outdoor sports versus indoor sports uh, presumably has some impact on this. Uh, but I do, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the NBA does and how the teams and the players come together. Uh, you know, we're not quite at a place to save the season, but to really come together to further the season with some degree of consistency. I think we're now three or four cancellations in. It sure looks like there's going to be more. Um, and, and, you know, this is something we've talked about, Ryan, recently was this idea that basketball is a different game and that you can't just have a practice squad of, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 guys, uh, but instead you only have 10, 12-person teams. You know, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts here as we see some of the impact proliferating through the league? That's right. And, you know, you see the NFL, you see Major League Baseball sort of go through ups and downs, but be able to push through and, you know, not to jinx the NFL, but they've, you know, made progress. But to your point, Michael, different sport, a lot more players. I, I, mean, I am surprised that they didn't, um, that the league didn't sort of put in place some sort of taxi quad, taxi squad, excuse me, system where they could have players come up because it's not like the basketball we're seeing is consistently at a high level right now, especially coming out of the bubble where the playoffs, I mean, I really enjoyed the playoffs. I think we all did. And it was, you know, a high level of play. I mean, players are kind of getting back into shape. They're obviously going through the same things we're all going through with COVID. Um, you know, they're, they're missing 
time for injuries. They're now missing time for COVID. It's just, it's a pretty chaotic situation. So it, I don't think adding those players would have, uh, you know, really decreased the, the, the product because it's already a little shaky right now anyway. Obviously, there's costs associated with it. There's logistics. There's a lot of different things. But I think, you know, you see what the Sixers are going through. And, you know, Doc Rivers is just like, we, we shouldn't be doing this. Like, you, they're barely, they barely have eight players. And they have these like guys off their bench who are playing tons of minutes, and it's just it's they're basically like one of those 1987 strike NFL teams, you know, without uh, Steve Largent crossing the picket line. Um, so it's 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 just oh, so I, I guess we got political there. Sorry, sorry, Steve Largent, <laughs> former congressman. It's like Keanu Reeves playing quarterback, almost, right? Almost governor of Oklahoma. Um, yep. It's all right. I think he lost that race like 20 years ago. I think the, the statute has okay. passed. Okay. Like you're good now. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I just don't know why that wasn't implemented, particularly when the NBA agreed. I think it came out this week that the, with the MB, MBPA, the Players Association, and their requirement that these additional people can be staying with the players. Now, again, like coming out of the bubble where they were cut off from their families until later in the playoffs is like they need that support and that connection. But at the same time, like to allow that and then not have sort of additional plans in place, it is, it is an incredibly difficult thing to manage, but we saw how great they managed the bubble, um, which I think does beg the question, like, are they going to go have to go back to a bubble in the second half of the season? They haven't announced the schedule. They have a lot of flexibility. It's obviously a very capable management team, but D love, do you see us, going to bubble 2.0 well i will say just really fast randy i think you touched on this important kind of revelation that oddly enough andrew bogut i think discussed on his podcast this week which is that players as negotiated by the mbpa the players association with the league uh have to the, the teams have to provide basically accommodations for up to two guests per player on road trips for uh, these players that are traveling. Uh, the odd thing is these players aren't testing. There's no protocol. There's no requirements associated with. Uh, right, the guests aren't testing. The, yeah, the, right. the guests aren't tested, right? And so it's you know you I land in the bubble. Yeah, you the land bubble. in Detroit and you have two people come and join you at your hotel room, which there's a litany of issues that I think would come up with that, let alone some of the testing parameters that come along with that. So that, that was disclosed, I think this week, which obviously lends the question of how substantially is that contributing to the outbreak that we've seen with a number of these teams, whether it's Dallas or Boston or Philly or whoever it is, uh, you know, how much is that, you know, contributing that policy that the players association themselves negotiated. So D love back to you, but I just wanted to, to clarify that for our listeners. Sure. And you also kind of buried the lead there. I didn't know Andrew Bogut had a podcast. Uh, that's really interesting. Our competition. But, uh, he, he might've actually been at the Capitol. So we might want to steer, steer clear of that just to be oh, clear. Oh boy. Oh boy. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I, we are getting political. I, I thought rivers. Listeners left and was he, no, I thought Rivers was upset because he was singled out in, in the COVID restrictions. But um, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's a separate matter too. Adam Silver. It was. It, yeah. just, it was funny though. I don't know if you saw the Sixers did get fined for not uh, disclosing 
Ben Simmons' knee injury. So he didn't play in a game for a knee injury they didn't disclose. And so they got fined $25,000 in the midst of this huge COVID outbreak where they barely have anyone to wow. play. And it's like the NBA didn't wow. have a didn't have a backup plan in place, but they did make sure to find the Sixers when they're going wow. through this mess. But again, D-Love, yeah. uh, again, very helpful <laughs> detail, Michael, hey. there. But D-Love, what's, uh, what's your take? Well, I, I do support the Simmons fine because he's on my fantasy team and I, it was a little disheartening when he was suspended or uh, he was out at the last minute. I don't know why I, said, I almost said suspended, but um, uh, it just seems like, I mean, this is like three games in a short period of time that are suspended early on. There was that one game, I think that has been four or five total that have been suspended. I, I'm a little surprised too that there there isn't more of a contingency plan. It seems like now is the time that they really need to to consider that. Like the response has been, you know, we we expected this and we're prepared for it. But how can you be prepared for this unknown? Because we just don't know what what kind of outbreak uh, there is. Um, obviously, the the testing is is pretty regular, and um, but we just we just don't know. So. Um, so it's really wild. I mean, even the NFL, even though they survived, there was some some moments there where things were kind of touch and go. Things were were pretty bad, and and it seems like it just didn't go to that next level. But but what is that line that is going to be crossed? And it seems like we're we're having moments where we are encroaching on that line. Yeah, that's a great point with the NFL, and I think with baseball as well. Is they they started to teeter, right? I mean, they they definitely went. You know, they got much closer than we are right now at the NBA. Um, in terms of, you know, just are we actually going to finish the season? Because there were, you know, te- many teams that had, you know, major disruptions due to COVID. But again, they had, they expanded their rosters, you know, they, they, they had that in place to sort of kind of go through those times. And if, you know, they could, they could trace people and then keep them secluded and still have, you know, a, a group that could go out and play and still still staff their team um and so i i think you know the nba is sort of going along and just trying to you know keep it moving you know they have the second half of the season to sort of fix anything and they still have the bubble as a backup which the other sports really couldn't or wouldn't do um but you know we're really going to have to see um you know you know, the variable is when the vaccine is available for the NBA and when they kind of take their spot in line to get it. And they, they say they're not going to cut either line. But, you know, so I think obviously like elderly people, people with conditions, front, when there's a lot of people who still need to get it, we're starting to accelerate. I think we, we vaccinated over a million people today um, or a million, maybe this maybe the wrong time frame. But I know that today was the best day we've had. Um, vaccinating and getting that out finally, but it's definitely been slow. There's been stories of vaccinations not being, you know, used and people are trying to get in and skip the line because they have extra vaccines they have to use because they're frozen and they can't refreeze them. So I'm just interested to see where the NBA falls in. And, you know, once they get that and get broad vaccines within the NBA, if they can get that at some point during the regular season, then, you know, they're off to the races at that point. So I, I think that's still in their in their mind, but there's a lot of variables there in terms of, um, 
you know, how fast that gets out. Does the change in administration help accelerate accelerate that or not? I mean, it's just there's a lot of a lot of variables, but I feel like that's sort of their their ace in the hole is that they'll just sort of like find their way through this and um, get there. But I think baseball, what you saw was that people started to really the the teams, the league pushed the teams. You saw the NFL as well, but even in baseball, when it started to teeter, the the fellow players actually pushed on the players, and there was a couple guys. I think it was maybe for the Indians. They got they got they were really good players, and they got voted by the players to be sent down to the minor leagues because of some of their choices and behavior and the risk they were taking with COVID. So, um, and we're in the midst of like this the worst time of COVID in the whole pandemic. So it's just there's a confluence of factors. And, you know, I just if they have to pause the season, then it's just then the clock starts running in terms of like what they can do and how they can do it. So uh, fingers crossed. Yeah. And, and I think I think one of the unique things with the NBA and why the bubble fundamentally has to be this fallback is in baseball, you have the ability to do double headers. I mean, I think at one point there was I think maybe the Marlins, I want to say, had something like. 64 games remaining in 58 days or something crazy like that um, where they had, you know, I'm, I, my numbers are rough, you know, generalizations, but it was just, they had more games remaining than days left in the season. And they have it, obviously in baseball, you have the ability to have double headers. And they went to seven, any double headers too. At one point, I think they went to like shorter. I mean, they definitely took steps that they could take to address that, which I mean, and, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be 32-minute games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you going to play three-quarter games? Obviously, some of these things – I mean, football, right? I mean, the Titans game, I think, got in the week five, got pushed back to Tuesday. That happened a number of times throughout the year, right? There's, when you have a you know, when you have a 10- to 14-day quarantine process when you get it and you have seven days between games, you have some flexibility in terms of how to make it all fit together in your schedule – which the NBA doesn't, right? You're playing every couple of days, and as a result, when a team gets just absolutely crushed by what's happening, then all of a sudden you, you don't you lose that flexibility. I mean, my prediction here is that they try to cobble it together to what amounts to the All Star break, and then they take a real look at what the rest of the season looks like, and and how the, where the vaccine is at, and how many teams have gotten through the bulk majority of their schedule to that point. And then there'll be a true reckoning in terms of whether they need to go to a bubble or not. I mean, I think that the bare minimum for this season, the, the goals of the NBA to me would be finish the season. That is like the, that's the core number one belief. I think previously there'd been a goal to get to sort of full stadiums or full ish stadiums uh, clearly is not going to be a thing that's going to happen anytime soon to me. And so the goal has to be just finishing the season. And if that requires a bubble, regardless of the cost prohibit, the, the cost prohibitive nature that the bubble, the V1 bubble was, I, I can't imagine they won't go back to that if that is what gets them through the season. But uh, I am skeptical that they'll have to get there just because of all the different factors that are coming up in terms of uh, the, the vaccine and, and the general, hopefully, uh, trajectory turning here in the next, you know, few months as the, the vaccine proliferates the society. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Certainly, my my parents are both older than seventy five, and they've been told that uh, they should expect to get the vaccine around March. So uh, NBA players better not to get that before my parents. But uh, amen, brother. 
Those are all imp- imprecise timelines. God bless. Um, yeah, I mean, if you guys were – I had a question for both of you. If you were a coach, like if you're Doc Rivers, how do you handle this situation? You know, how do you how do you manage it? How do you keep perspective with your players? You know, there's obviously bigger issues at play, you know, especially when it's your son-in-law who got sick. I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, Seth Curry – uh, married to Doc Rivers' daughter, like that's we've talked about that before, but that's a crazy dynamic. But how would you handle it as a coach? Like, what would you, what would you do or, or or not do if you were coaching NBA team that gets hit by COVID? You know, I've, I I think one of the most fascinating things about how to handle this is some of the schedule dynamics that we've seen so far, whether it's the volume of blowouts or sort of the odd. Um, results in some of these, you know, quote unquote baseball series where you, where a, two teams have played effectively back to back games, either on back to back nights or with, with a night in between, but both in the same city. You know, I think to me, there's a measuring, especially for the sort of made teams, so to speak, the teams that I think are commonly accepted are going to make the playoffs. I think playoff seeding becomes a much less relevant conversation. Uh, this year than maybe it does in other years, right? The pursuit of the one seed or two seed or whatever it is, home court advantage is clearly going to be fairly irrelevant. And so there's a component of just get through the year, get to the playoffs as healthy as possible, stay safe uh, and measure sort of throughout that. And that's where I think you're seeing some of these odd components where, um, you know, any given night, uh, you know, some of these bad teams, I mean, you know, considerably bad teams are beating good teams and it's it's i think it's because of that pacing effect that's happening the travel that's coming in what amounts to a condensed season i mean that's another component we have to remember here is it's not only in the middle of a pandemic and you might get sick but you also are just playing 72 games in five months i mean that's much more rapid than previously sort of expected of four months i guess previously expected in a normal year. So that to me is, is the biggest changes that a coach like doc or anybody else has to be sort of aware of. Now, if you're one of the scrappier teams or a team that hasn't quite made it before, I'm not totally sure how to navigate that because again, if you're in the bottom half, if you're at the risk of being in the plan tournament, all of a sudden this stuff becomes much more uh, dire in a lot of ways in, in an effort to make the playoffs. Yeah. And I, I give credit to rivers uh, for speaking up and being willing to push back a little bit to what the NBA was doing. Um, I mean, he was just concerned about jeopardizing the health of his players to play extended minutes. I think he made a joke about Dwight Howard was going to play point guard. And actually, I think people didn't know if he was no, serious there, or not. There was a but, dribble handoff. Uh, I think Steve Jones Jr. Called, like highlighted a dribble handoff between Embiid and Dwight Howard. So Dwight Howard, like, you know, the little, usually it's a point guard and a big guy, but like, Dwight Howard or someone threw the ball to Embiid, then Dwight Howard cut off him and Embiid handed it off to him. And Howard tried to nice, go through nice. and like threw it off the backboard. So it's like nice, we're nice. seeing whole new levels of offense and uh, nice. strategies. And that will do it. That will do it for Dwight. That's the last play they're going to run like that. They, they gave it a try. It was an experiment. It, it didn't work out so well. But, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you're, I think your job as a coach, you're, you have to – advocate for the well-being of your players the doing what you can to i mean i guess it's the the general welfare everybody should be thinking of right now 
uh, obviously there's something more important at stake than, than wins and losses. Um, and I know we've been kind of hard on, uh, rivers at times for his, his game management and whatnot, but, um, he, he's always kind of stepped up when he's needed to as a leader, I think. But, um, but it is, it's a tough, it's a tough position for coaches to be in. What, what do you think about that Ryan in terms of if you were a coach, how you'd handle that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a, obviously the most important thing is just the health of the players and then the staff and then getting through the season. And I think you just focus on that. And, you know, I think, you know, when there is, when COVID does hit, I mean, one of the, the only tiny upsides is you see these other players, you know, bench players, young players get a chance to play more and do stuff. And I think for the, the true NBA fan, the deep NBA fan, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice thing to, to watch and see, uh, so I think, you know, just try to be flexible and, and do it. And, you know, I mean, it is, it is fun seeing, you know, there was a, there was a picture of Greg Popovich, like jumping in the air with his, his mane of white hair <laughs> flowing through. So I think, uh, you know, all those coaches are sort of uh, winging it and it's, it's fun to, fun to see that part of it. I will say, I think one of the components beyond coaching and team management is just the way the season is playing out. I think looking at the standings so far, there's a whole lot of clustering in in both conferences, really. I mean, you know, I think four and a half games is what sort of separates the, the first from the worst at this point. And, I mean, for anybody who's sort of online in nature in terms of how we consume the NBA, you know, there's there's constantly conversations around, you know, are the Clippers for real? And meanwhile, they're seven and four, but they also lost by 50 points to the Mavs, right? It's it, the Lakers and show up one night and don't show up another. And I think those are all com- interesting components of what a season like this looks like uh, because of both the condensed shortened season and also kind of the, the, the issues that come with a, playing an NBA season in a pandemic. Um but, you know, I think one of the interesting things is, is for some of these teams that have to prove some things, whether it's players or teams, really, right? You look at a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves that obviously we all consider to be a bit of a long shot to make it into the playoffs, but clearly as an organization had sort of an edict to go there, um, both in, in how they've drafted and how they've traded draft collateral in the past. Uh, they don't have their own pick this year. Uh, you know, they have all the intentions of the world to make a run at it in a weird year where Carl Anthony Towns breaks his wrist and obviously has some performance issues as a team or a player like Steph who comes back into the fray after playing all but what five or six games last year and sort of has to prove his, you know, stature in the league without KD, without clay after, you know, a five consecutive, you know, NBA finals run. Uh, And, and I think we were really concerned. I think in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the Warriors performance thus far. We've talked about Steph's performance thus far. I think I even contrasted it with the Phoenix Suns, which I was very concerned about a week ago and, and things have changed fast. I mean, what's your guys' uh, perception of, of Steph and, and now the Warriors given their performance here in the last week? That's a great segue because we actually, uh, you know, had one of our first requests for a topic from uh, friends of the pod uh, or FOPs, uh, Scott and Todd, and they and they kind of came down on both. Not Bob from Sherwood. Todd from Sherwood. No, it's Todd from <laughs> Idaho. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I still thought it was Bob. Yeah, I'm still Bob confused. Todd. <laughs> uh, so you know, on one side, 
you know, the, there's the view that, you know, Steph is this incredible transformative player who, despite his stature, is, you know, just, you know, the elite of the elite um, of his generation. And then there's the other the other view, which is that, you know, Steph, because of his stature, because of his style of play, is actually not at that dominant level. And I think, you know, we saw that come out in the last few weeks, as Michael was alluding to, with the criticism that, you know, both, you know, with Steph really faced as he had some up and down games. And then, of course, he, then he came out with the 62, um, which I think quieted everyone down a bit. But then he came back and struggled against the Clippers. And then after that, he comes back and just destroys them in the second half and wins a game single-handedly. And then he had like 11 the next night. So it, it is fascinating. He's sort of up and down along with it. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp. You know, sorry, Todd from Sherwood or Idaho or wherever, but I'm, I'm definitely in the camp that he is an elite of the elite player. And his ability to shoot and to draw defenses and then to um, score and pass is, you know, just up there with Harden. And I mean, LeBron is once in a lifetime. He's the number two player, you know, on my list, at least in the history of the NBA. But I think behind him, he's right there in that next group of this era. And so I think that's despite the fact that he's not, you know, as physically gifted or just as big and strong, at least as his, some of his contemporaries. Uh, but I, I think he's incredible. And I think, He's not in a great situation. Like his, that group of players are not, there's not a lot of ba- fully, you know, full basketball players, even offensive players. And Steve Kerr keeps playing Weisman like 17 minutes a night, which is just give him some run, my man. Um, give so, me more Wiseman. Yeah, give me more Wiseman. Or as, you know, D Love would say, give me more Wiggins. And he actually, he's, he's shown a little bit more this week too. <laughs> so that's been fun to see. So yeah, I mean, where do you guys stand? I mean, I, I, I sort of, I sort of know it. I mean, we, I think we all, we all um, have a place in our hearts for Steph. Again, unlike, unlike some of his critics. So, but where, where do you guys end up, and where do you see the rest of the season going for him? I think when you start, when you're slender, small stature, and you start learning how to play basketball, and you have to rely on skill. When you're out there on the court, you have to learn how to run and hide. Uh, at, at a very young age, it, it can be a little bit scary out there. Um, so you, are, you develop are you, a certain are you style of play. This sounds like a personal, personal, a very personal statement here. <laughs> yes, exactly. You don't want to go down that lane unless you absolutely have to. So, uh, so you develop a certain style of play that you become accustomed to. Although if you look at Curry's body from when he first came into oh, the man. league, he's when he was really totally. young, he's bulked up totally. actually quite quite a and bit. And he's six three. But I think he's maybe not, he's not. He's, and he's six three. He yeah, he helps you get his shot off. But he's always been like smaller and thinner than his contemporaries. Like even when he was playing in high school, he was you know, and you saw him at Davidson, right? The baby-faced assassin. Like he's always been like yes. that. It's not like he just was taller and bigger than everyone else. And then sort of, he's always been like that. So he's had to develop that from the very beginning. And especially having a dad who's an NBA player, he saw his dad's like six, seven, and he, he would go to the gym and and see all the NBA guys and mess around and play with them. You know, that even exasperated the difference even more. 
and let's not forget his favorite player ever was Muggsy Bogues. Oh, there we go. I don't know if you yeah, yeah, say yeah. that, yeah. but he has he's said that more than once. Those in were interviews. fun. Those were fun but, Hornets teams. I mean, with Dal Curry, they were Muggsy Bogues, Morning, Grandmama, a tough front yeah, line, yeah, Larry, Larry Johnson, Johnson and, and yeah, Morning, Keith, Larry yeah. Johnson. Yeah, but Curry. I mean, the thing that is. Uh, impresses me the most actually about Curry's Curry's game is his ability to finish around the basket. When he gets inside, he does not actually look afraid. Like other 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 parts of the court it seems like he he is dodging, running around, again, maybe avoiding things. But um he can finish around the basket. Um, I know some of those uh finals games against the Cavaliers, LeBron had a few uh, memorable rejections against Curry. But by and large, like I've always been impressed with his ability to finish. Uh, so he does not. I, I just don't think that he is a, a soft player. I don't think it's it's a fair player. I know there was a comparison to Allen Iverson, and and I just think that they're the way they've learned the game, their whole personality, everything is just is very different. So um, I just I, I'm not ready to put the label of uh, soft on Curry. What what do you say, Michael? I, well, I certainly wouldn't call him soft you know I, I think what has happened to Steph in the last you know really 18 months I think but largely in, in different ways throughout the last several years has been this sort of assessment of his performance as a player and and this this sort of exception excuse making for how effective he actually is right this sort of you know and it a lot of ways oddly starts I think inside the league with some of the players that they look at this sort of slight six three guy who who doesn't really rely on the traditional sense of athleticism to be effective that so many of these players do um, and all of a sudden sort of discount a lot of his achievements over time um, now I do think a lot I think that entire perspective has has evolved oddly enough to a, it's a very sort of online NBA Twitter type of conversation um, that is then blown past that into sort of the, 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 the talk shows and the talking heads sort of, you know, how good is Steph conversations? I just, you know, he's clearly, he's a two-time MVP. He's a, he's clearly a first ballot hall of famer. So, you know, when a guy comes back, it is, a, it's an interesting storyline to see if he can carry a, a, an admittedly deficient team. Uh, but I, I just I, I wonder the narrative around particularly that huge game he had against Portland, but also just the general performance. I mean, it's a joy to watch him play, but it's not like he's the first guy that's ever gone to 60 or even a guy who's gone for 60 in the last several years. I think Dame did it multiple times last year. And, and to see a guy like Steph get off, but also be treated as, as if it's sort of some confirmation of everyone's perspective. I mean, I just think he's always been great, and the fact that he's been able to prove it some is really fun. But I, I guess why do we think he's treated this way as opposed to maybe a player like Kyrie who's of similar stature um, and and a much less effective player uh, in terms of his shooting prowess? And I think finishing at the rim, they're, they're quite similar. And obviously their uh, performance in total has been, you know, Steph far outreaches him. I mean, why does why do we think Steph gets treated this way? Well, I think Kyrie's is a unique, unique player in this generation. Like our friend, you know, friend of the pod, FOP Scott, who I know is very pro Curry, which is ironic because you know um, 
Scott is was solely responsible for uh, losing Curry from Nike and uh, Curry heading to Under Armour. Um, I don't know how he, I don't know how Scott survived that at Nike, but uh, uh, he must be close with Phil. Breaking he must be news. close with Phil. Breaking news. Uh, but you know, Kyrie, according to Scott, is like the, was like the most popular player uh, of his generation among kids, right? And I, I think it's the way he you know he handles the ball and his sort of just, I don't really care attitude, you know, which I think like appeals. You see it like Durant tries to be that way. And it's always this inner conflict with him where Steph is just like, he's just a good, he's just a good dude. Right. I mean, he sort of presents himself. I'm not saying Kyrie or Durant aren't good dudes, but like that's Curry's like, he just kind of is who he is. Right. And I think that combined with sort of, you know, you know, being Del Curry's son, his mom, you know, his brother. I mean, it's sort of just like giving his sister, married his teammate. I mean, it's sort of like this storybook thing. And I think it's just um, – and I think he really surprised people about how far he came, right? I mean, I mean, even when he was drafted, you know, no one's – I don't think anyone was saying MVP, right? And so I think it, 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 it forces people to reevaluate their own – um, the own weaknesses of their analysis of NBA players. And I think particularly other players uh, in the league, it, it's really hard to do that. And he revolutionized the game and totally changed it. And he's the most influential person's generation. Harden would be right there, but Steph's the biggest one. And it's ironic because Draymond this week, you know, made a, made a point that, you know, basically no one – really on, on Twitter and none of the fans, even the hardcore fans really understand basketball. And they were like, well, how do they learn basketball? And he was asked by the media and he's like, well, first it's like, you're an addict. You got to admit you have a problem. You got to admit you don't really know anything. But the irony is like, there's a lot of players who don't really understand basketball. I mean, they're, they're I think they're like, again, like brilliant artists, but they're not necessarily like, you know, you look at the criticism Curry gets about his performance and he's the, he's incredibly efficient player who is like offensively is one of the great offensive players ever. And he's still criticized because he doesn't fit into, uh, into the expectations that people have for what someone should look like and act like. So, uh, you know, again, Todd from Idaho, his, his question that I think what it boiled down to was who would you rather have Steph or Iverson, and so I'll, I'll I'll pose that to the group. Who would you take, Michael? Well, I love Todd from Idaho, and I think he may have suggested that his answer was different than mine. It's unequivocally Steph Curry. I mean, I, I think building a team around a player like Curry, maybe he doesn't bring some of the more traditional sort of alpha attitudes that that a guy like Iverson brought to the table. I think the, the offensive dynamic that Curry generates, I mean, it's so on display that it's like perfectly displayed this year. Curry is an offense among himself, right? He just shows up and, and even in, you know, you never want to go full jazz, but even in his ability to Pat perform Ben Thompson, <laughs> exactly. It, it, he showed up against the Raptors, was basically triple teamed on every possession, 
scored 11 points in total, and they were up Worst 15. shooting performance ever, yeah. yeah. And they were up 15 going into the fourth quarter. And it's not like his offensive teammates are, 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 are lighting the world on fire. I mean, Clay and KD ain't walking through that door. But instead, because he's being triple teamed, because he's that type of offensive player, right, they have the opportunity to have Eric Paschal, you know, getting lands over and over again, right? And, and that I mean, to he's me... Got, yeah, he's averaging 28, 6, and 5, and 6. And they're six and four and in fifth place. Like that's, I mean, sixth place. That's, I mean, I know we're early small sample size alert, but you know, and that team, yeah, that team is not, you know, I mean, again, Wiggins is playing a little better getting Draymond back just to have more continuity and sharing the ball and, you know, playing a two man game is so important, but like, you know, they rely a lot on Eric Pascal to score <laughs> for them to be good. You know, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, and that's what I love about Steph too, is he passes the ball. He's not, he's not, uh, I mean, I, Iverson never, never passed the ball. Right. I mean, he, he would always, he was, he was Kobe-esque, right. It was always, um, you know, always shooting, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, <laughs> Josiah, uh, uh, told me about a meme. Um, you know, if anyone see Lord of the Rings, at least the movie, the first movie, um, you know, you shall not pass, you know, when they're in, inside the mountain. <laughs> and he said that was, he said that was uh, Kobe's favorite movie, RIP, because that's, that's the kind of guy he'd want as a coach. You shall not pass. So it's Steph's the opposite. He, he will share the ball. He will, he will make that pass uh, and he'll create. And, and that's why I would love to see him even have a higher usage rate, have the ball in his hands even more. He does have some turnovers. We talked about that, but a lot of the other great, you know, dominant Paul Handlers have it as well. So I, I vote for Curry as well. Iverson is once in a generation. What a unique guy. What an awesome player. Love, loved Iverson, but I would take Curry as well. Um, he, he, he creates an offense and he can, he can do everything. And I, yeah, I don't really understand. I don't, I, it's like, if you just look at the performance and the numbers and what he's done, it's, it's just so special, but D love, are, are you joining us um, in our, consensus here or uh are you like tyron well, luke for getting, me uh, shook by ai <laughs> i was just about to reference that i kid you not for me it comes down to like who takes practice more seriously <laughs> um <laughs> not a game not a game practice i i do i was thinking of that but i loved iverson too i think that's it, it was he was a great player amazing guy I would say outside of any blazer play, that was one of my favorite things to watch. That play where he made the shot over Lou and stepped over him was just, <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Ever. Love um, that guy. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think Jordan in his Jordan was quoted saying, I love that little guy. When he talked <laughs> right. about well, remember when he shook him too, like, <laughs> like his rookie year, he like crossed over. Jordan. Oh yes. Yeah. Jordan was still at the peak and he just yeah. like lost him completely. That was. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I think Curry Curry is just too good. I think I think he is on a, another level. I think he's going to be considered one of the best point guards ever, as long as there's not too many of his critics out there uh, judging that for history. But um, uh, there was a, another point I was going to make, but I completely well. Lost I'll, my I'll jump in. I'll that. jump in. So, I mean, the one thing yes, I would please. say in um, you know, sort of in Todd from Idaho's defense, is that. 
you know, we, we are sort of cross comparing uh, generations here. And I think in the same way, when we talked about Jordan and LeBron, and if you bring Jordan into like the post 0304 rule changes, you know, bring Jordan into that. It's just and no hand checking, no grabbing, no pushing, no physical defense. Like, I think Iverson as well would have really benefited from that. You know, and he, yeah. he got a little bit of that towards the very sort of towards the latter part of his career, but he was sort of on the downhill by then. Um, and he took a lot of, lot of beating, right. Being that small, um, very strong and athletic, obviously, but still relatively small. And, you know, if he, if he could have this sort of defense, I mean, I think he would, he would have been even better. So I think you have to keep that in mind, but I would still go with Curry, um, because of his offensive efficiency and the way he can, you know, really control and share and lead a team. I remember now what my thought was when you said that no one saw Curry being an MVP. I thought, well, especially not David. <laughs> Skipped over twice. Right? Drafting. Yes, passed over For Curry twice guards. with Flynn. Well, the crazy yes. part is that they, you know, um, I mean, the, the Oklahoma City passed over him too, right? I mean, for obviously for Harden, which is, I mean, that 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 sort of Harden Curry, you know, weren't the first second pick and obviously you have the beat up there you know it's just i mean can you imagine curry with durant i mean like in the early days the young days even i mean you saw how great they were right. then i mean it's just yeah oh and i there was one other thing too i was going to say is that as far as why people are tough on curry i i do think there is a jealousy factor i think uh as we mentioned our buddy scott i think he he referenced that um, but i also wonder if he was also kind of by association with the whole Kevin Durant becoming a villain thing that maybe that impacted his popularity. That's a great point. Yeah, he was, he, he, he was of, peak. Yeah. Part of the yeah, evil he empire. Was the peak. Like when they won in 2015, you know, and sort of came out of nowhere. I think that was Kerr's first year. And, um, you know, obviously they lost, they lost the next year, the Cavs and then got Durant, but that year and then into the 70. 73 win season the next year. I mean, that was like, I mean, he was by far like the favorite, you know, the favorite player of, of kids everywhere. And was just like riding the wave. And I do think when they got Durant, I mean, although, you know, at least my son, Josiah did not, uh, he's, he's the forever contrarian. So when I gave him a Steph Curry Jersey, he, he wore it a little bit that he said he hates Steph Curry. He also <laughs> thinks Kobe's better than Jordan. So, uh, you know, we have some work. We have some work to do there. But he, he needs to listen to the podcast. <laughs> keep listening to the podcast, Josiah. Uh, yes, but he he did wear the Brandon Roy that's true. He wore jersey. The Brandon Roy, the V Roy. Yeah, the first of three Eni children who have all all worn it, including yeah. uh, both daughters. So, uh, <laughs> best gift yeah, I've ever given. That was. But by the way, you know, Curry gets criticized for never wanting a Finals MVP, but that first year they won it. They gave it, it to Nikola because he like. Because he overachieved, like he played better than you would expect him to play, but he was not the most valuable player in that no. series, right? I mean, should that not have been no. Curry? No, exactly. Yeah, it, it's just, claim it's it. just, yeah. I mean, and I do think it's like he's the type of person that you know a lot of guys who come up, right? I mean, look at Durant, look at LeBron, like they don't have anything, right? They grew up with nothing, and they built their careers and their lives out of the NBA, out of their hard work. Steph Curry grew up like his dad was an NBA player for 15 years, like, you know, great family, like super positive, you know, and then he somehow like develops 
the edge, the drive that he did to become not just like an NBA player, but one of the greatest ever. I mean, that's, that's just sort of, I think that's sort of confounding to people. I mean, it's interesting because, go ahead. The, it, I was going to say the ACC schools, they didn't, they didn't anything. want Virginia him, Tech. Right? Virgin- I mean, Krzyzewski, his father is right alum. Yeah, Virginia his Tech. His mom was an alum too. They met there. And the craziest part is like <laughs> the, the coach there, Greenberg, is now like he's still an analyst on ESPN. And you're like, if you miss on Curry, if you, if you didn't just get him there, give him like your last scholarship at least. They, they didn't get Seth either. Like they didn't get Seth either. He went to Liberty College and then transferred to Duke, and now he's a starter in the NBA. It's like he missed on both Seth Greenberg. Come on, man. How do you take this guy seriously and his ability to evaluate college yeah. basketball if he didn't get the Curry boys to come to come to town? I don't know. I mean, it's it's crazy, and I think I just think it confounds people. The 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 interesting yeah. part though is that Kobe, you know, son of an NBA player spoke Italian, like, and, and actually is a, was a very standoffish sort of unique, and again, like kind of the first of the artist generation of NBA players, I mean, to the point where he went to an Oscar, you know, <laughs> his post-playing career, just a unique, unique person, you know, again, rest in peace along with his daughter, but it's, uh, you know, he's not perceived that way at all, you know, it's like, he, in a way, was even more. I mean, it's like he spoke Italian. He grew up in Europe. You know, it's it's his dad was the NBA player, um, but he's he's not like looked at that way at all. Where Steph is just yeah, he's just sort of looked looked upon. Um, you know, this point, and I think I think we were talking. I think that was last week where, you know, he was interviewed. You know, after the 63, 62 point game, and just talking i think d love you noted he was talking sort of in the the first person or third person about superstars and super great players and how you know he he's just the motivation from the criticism and it's true like he's had that his whole life because it it would be a weird thing to be the son of an nba player to be a really good high school player like i haven't finished yet but i've i've, I've been reading the thompson biography of him uh of curry and he he like to not get even a like an offer at your parents' school, you know. I mean, he really like your point. Of, he he's been like fighting against it his whole. He's always been treated that way, so it's not like the NBA their view of him is any different. It's just it's sort of always been that way. And even again, even people who thought he would be a great NBA player, which I think we, we did. I mean, we all thought he'd be really good. I think if you just the way shoot his could shoot and play, but you know the way he's developed his body, his, the uh... way he's worked. And he's going to have – he can have a long run still, right? I mean, just to be a shooter and, you know, I mean, defensively he'll continue to – his struggles will continue and grow. But, you know, it, it's going to be fun to watch. Well, I think that you bringing up Kobe is an interesting parallel. Cause I, you know, it's not like Kobe was exactly beloved in those first six, seven years of his career, right? I mean, he kind of – That's true, through, yeah. He went through the desert a bit and then he kind of came into his own persona – uh, and and matured in such a way that uh, he he's become beloved, sort of generally accepted by sort of everybody in and around the NBA community. And I'm curious if a guy like Curry gets to that point here, coming out 
the the other side of his career, right? Is he in the next decade, if that begins to evolve and he becomes generally more accepted for the savant that he is, you know, it's funny. I can't help but listen to this conversation and imagine it's like the NBA is treating him the way they like the way Austin Rivers actually is, right? Like he grew up in yeah. an NBA family. Yeah. And no, he actually exactly. always is a bit of a hack. And he went to Duke and he got drafted 10th in the, in the draft. And he's just sort of, a, he's been a hack this whole time. And, and he's sort of been kind of going on the coattails of his dad and his family and the whole bit. And instead Curry's actually like a basketball genius. I mean, I just, I can't get past this, the way he gets treated compared to a player like Kyrie Irving. I mean, Curry is like demonstrably better in basically every category statistically uh, as a player like Irving. And yet Irving, because he has this artist's complex, because he sort of just doesn't really care about a lot of the different things that maybe more traditional players do, he's held in this esteem by fans, kids, but also like the league. I mean, the, the players look at a guy like, I mean, if you show up in a gym and you see Kyrie doing all his fancy stuff around the, the, the rim, not to sound like the old guy on the couch, you're like, this guy's legit. And, um, and Curry, obviously he's just, his ability is so transcendent, but it's in so many of the littler things that it just, it's fascinating to see that he gets continued to be treated this way. Um, in in this sort of echelon that he he gets to talk about do you guys think it's gonna say like you know everybody says curry is is such a nice guy great guy does so much for his community etc um when he's playing he plays the game with a lot of just exuberance right i wonder if that gets does get perceived and this kind of ties in i think with the jealousy part um as as he's he's more cocky than people realize oh he's such a good guy but he's he's showboating uh yeah he's we know he's very confident but i think sometimes maybe that there's a perception there that i think i think is tied into the jealousy thing that maybe just isn't no deal that's a great point i think along with the durant sort of evil empire point is, is spot on and i and i think that's uh that's one of the criticisms from jerry west right who again is is you know to me the best evaluator of talent in the NBA ever in the history of the game. And he take, he's in the Durant versus, uh, you know, Steph sweepstakes. He takes Durant. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a Jack McMullen book about McCullen book about West and the Lakers of his day and the Warriors of today. And there's a, there's an anecdotes of, of McCollum watching Warriors games with West and West is like, you know, fuming about how Steph is playing and the shots he's taking and the turnovers. And I, and I do think it's that panache, you know, um, you know, and that sort of, you know, that energy he p- plays with um, and that cockiness he plays with that. Yeah. It's a good point. Like the dichotomy between his sort of perception you know, versus, you know, how he performs and plays. I, it, it does, it does feed into that, I bet. Um, but it still kind of goes back to Michael's point about Kyrie and him. Cause Kyrie definitely has, you know, sort of that same, you know, a different type of swag, but you know, you know, obviously a lot of confidence as well uh, in his, his performance. And don't get me wrong, man. I think Michael, you agree. Like Kyrie's amazing in his own right. And incredibly fun to watch. So I, I get why kids everywhere, like want his shoes, you know, as opposed to the, you know, Steph, Pete Carroll ripoff from a few years ago, but I, you know, I think uh, they're awful. That's like, no one wants them. Boston, Boston, 
Boston Celtics fans disagree. <laughs> they are not fans of Kyrie Irving. That's true. That's true. The most I'm overrated back. player I'll be ever. There. <laughs> well, speaking of Kyrie, I mean, speak. Do we, yes, is he okay? I'm concerned. I mean, I you know, it's it's. I haven't read anything, you know, in terms of what's actually going on. But you know, I mean, obviously with COVID, with it could be any number of things. Um, and he's obviously a very unique person. He's an artist. Like, you know, it's, it's a little con, you know, Kanye-esque. You never know. I mean, hopefully he's not going through things like Kanye has gone through, but just these type of artists, these musicians, um, it's these actors, it's like they go through these ups and downs. And I think that's what we're seeing. And again, hopefully it's just like some other reason that he's, he's gone right now. But yeah, if you guys read or heard anything, any, any, uh, informed guesses, well, I I did I read something that suggested it's connected to what happened, you know, last week at the Capitol, and, and in conjunction with yeah, sort I of that too. In in the fallout of what happened, I think you know he's been outspoken about a number of the societal issues that have been ongoing as the bubble approached, and then since the season has started, and I think you know I wonder what where his head is at as a result of what's going on. No, I do think the NBA is interesting. You see players go through maybe not something similar to Kyrie, but you know, there's clearly there's there's something going on there, and there's been players in the league that have had some challenges uh, in terms of just consistently kind of showing up and being present for their teams. And and I think the NBA is an interesting league because I think in other leagues, I think particularly football. I read an article recently about Earl Thomas and his sort of trajectory in the league in the last couple of years and there's a lot of scuttlebutt around you know you don't I don't want to be irresponsible with conjecture but there's some scuttlebutt around some of the challenges that can come with kind of lifelong football players and head injuries and some of the uh, um, sort of behavioral issues that accompany that and there's some you know conjecture around Earl and his sort of downfall out of the league and a very rapid going from like an all pro to basically out of the league in a matter of 18 months um, and, and what's going on there. And, you, and obviously that's less present in an NBA career because of the lack of physical contact. Uh, but you do wonder if there's something else going on that, you know, lends itself to Kyrie's kind of artistry, but also has some of the challenges that, of the consistency and his ability to really be present with this team. I mean, and I don't want to get in some ways. I, my hope is that Kyrie is, is doing well. He's hanging in there. He's, he's getting the help he needs if that's what he's looking for and uh, basketball be damned. Um, Now I hope he comes back. I hope the nets are at relatively full strength and and can make a run because they're a joy to watch play basketball. I mean, him and Durant in the early season have been great together in the four or five games they have, but Again, you know, I want him to get the help he needs because clearly there's something going on and there has been for some time um, just in his sort of evolution as a public figure. Well, it's a it's a great point and it's a great insight. And I think, you know, he you think about all the stress that everyone in the country is under, um, again, not to get into the politics of all of it, but just, you know, with COVID, with sort of the conflicts that are going on. Um you know, I think we're all under tremendous stress. I know I am. And you, you just that these guys are experiencing that and then still coming out and playing um, 
you know, when they can. And again, I, I totally agree. It's, it's, it's really important for all players, especially in this case, Kyrie to get the support and time and help they need. Um, we saw the toll that the bubble took on people. Um, and then just the responsibility that they feel to speak out and to be leaders. Um, that some of the players feel that too. And there's just so much going on and the, to try and go through all of that and play at a high level is just, that's a real feat. And again, it's a, it's a kid's game, you know, but at the same time, like that, there's just so much pressure. And I think unless you have just a unique personality, like a Kobe who, you know, when he was going through travails in his life would sort of use the basketball as an escape. And that was a place for him of, of where he could actually find peace. You know, if, if, if you're not wired that way, which I think is pretty unique, I think it's just, it's just, it's just would be very hard to find perspective, find balance, uh, particularly for a sensitive person in, in the best possible way, like Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's very well said. I think the the criticism of Kyrie is that oh, you know, he, he wants to play by a different set of rules. He can say when he doesn't want to talk to the media, and, and maybe there's there's parts of that to are true that are true. But I think this is something that just kind of goes beyond all that and and it's best to like reserve judgment and i think there has been obviously um a big movement in i mean across society but uh, in the last year or so in the nba of just mental health awareness and sensitivity and it's easy to look at um, nba players and say oh they have it all they have fame money and wealth but if uh, if things aren't going well in your head, none of those other things, uh, not only do they not help, but they can actually exacerbate if there's kind of some pre-existing inclination toward mental health issues. And and not and again, I'm not saying that's the case if, if he's just a sensitive spirit and he's been deeply impacted. And and this obviously was a traumatic event and based on your own experiences and whatnot that trauma impacts everyone differently and so um so i think reserving judgment uh for Kyrie is uh is the right play so touching into the mental to my to my counselor counselor, counselor corner it's been a little while i like it i like it you love sharing <laughs> yes. well i think it does lend the question i think and there's there's sort of a there's a moral component to to everything that's going on across all the sports leagues to, to the degree of, of what, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. There's obviously societal components that come along with playing sports. I think in the challenges and sort of this devoid time of a lot of other activities, a lot of crazy things going on and it's a welcome distraction to, to some people for better and for worse at times. Um, to understanding what these players are going through, and and I think those those are really I think wonderful points, and and I I do wonder how much of the toll that the bubble took on a lot of these players. It was a commonly discussed theme. I think the players being there without their families, the coaches being there without their families, the the um, the constraints around their freedom of of sort of movement. You know, what does that look like? And, and how influential is that in the NBA's decision-making process to explore how to combat some of the more recent outbreaks? And, and is there an unwillingness 
at least immediately just kind of have a snap judgment to go back to a bubble because of those issues, right? And you wonder if a guy like like Kyrie, who was vocally sort of against the bubble in the first place due to, to the, the things going on this summer, uh, and again, it had a lot of good points. At that point in time, you kind of wonder what it looks like now heading back kind of into a tougher stretch with the, the pandemic and and to see where the league goes. So um, obviously it's heavier stuff and it certainly is, is challenging, but um, all the best to Kyrie and, and our hope that he kind of gets the help he needs and, and gets his head in, in a spot that prepares him to be who he is. And guys, we did, uh, we touched on a lot of heavy topics tonight, uh, starting with COVID and my apologies to Adam Silver because we are out of time and we need to move to trivia. Uh, so we hope you will join us next week. Shout out to my brother for that one. Brian. All right, guys, you ready for this? Six, four, right? That sounds right. Michael still has a, now a, it's become an increasingly narrow lead here. All right. Here's the question for you guys. Of these four players, which of these four has, or excuse me, played the most NBA games in their career? Is it A, Carl Malone, B, John Stockton, C, Dirk Nowitzki, or D, Tim Duncan? Who played the most games? Ooh, ooh, ooh. This is a good one, Derek. Uh, I'm going to go. Longevity is real. I'm going to go with C, Dirk Nowitzki. And I will go with A, Carl Malone. Michael has widened the lead. Oh, 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 So every time I do these guys, I do stop and ask myself, what would I have guessed? And I also would have guessed Carl Malone. That's a great question. Long stint, of course, with the Jazz. How big a difference is it? It's slight. I looked at it a couple days ago. I do. I think Stockton might actually be second, but just barely over Malone, which I would have thought that the time with the Lakers would have put him above Stockton. So, um, but they're, they're all pretty close. I think Duncan was down a little bit further, um, but, but it, it's not a big margin for sure. Wow. I guess the whiskey that never, so he, 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 he played for 21 years, 21 20 years. years, never really hurt. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But all those guys were, were durable. I mean, Duncan had a lot of rest. Great late. question. Duncan Pete. had some periods. I'm yeah. glad the research yeah, department thanks. was working overtime on that. Great, great, great job, guys. <laughs> We've thanks, added some Jen. new staff. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the Three and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast, it's a triumph of the human spirit.